Welcome to a podcast about Hilton Head Island and the Low Country. I am your host, Jay McCain. Today's episode is part two of a three-part series with island entertainment legend Greg Russell. We'll talk about his family, changes to the island over the years, and one of Greg's biggest passions, the Hilton Head Heroes Foundation, as we travel down 278 to Lighthouse Road. Greg, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. Good to see you. You started playing in Harbor Town in 1976. At what point did Hilton Head become your home? I never left. Uh, I, I got here the first day, and uh, you know it's it's either been my primary residence or uh, for uh, I don't know five or seven years early in my marriage we owned a home in Nashville because I was doing some TV stuff and, and my writing partners were there and publisher and and I commuted back and forth but it's it's been home since uh, the mid seventies. Tell me a little bit uh, about your your family. You have a wife, Lindy, and is it two yeah, girls? Is two that correct? daughters. They're uh, uh, in their late twenties now. One married, and uh, one soon to be. Youngest daughter lives between New York and and Los Angeles. She and her fiance. He's a Wall Street uh, lawyer type, and. They commute back and forth, and uh, my older daughter uh, was an equestrian, rode horses here starting at Lawton Stables, and eventually in college won the NCAA National Championships and uh, trained dolphins for SeaWorld and, uh, you know, was very active in the in the animal world, let's say. And, and she and her husband, he's a, God forbid, a musician and a great golfer. With COVID, they last two years have been traveling all over the country in a big exaggerated uh, oversized van and they go to all the national parks and uh, they're hikers they hiked over a thousand miles last year so uh, both daughters very successful and uh, successful in that they're both very happy and living uh, lives of wonder which uh, I think is just Fantastic. I bet it was quite entertaining to grow up as Greg Russell's uh, daughter. <laughs> were, were you running material by him all the time when you sang him to sleep at night? Did you break the guitar out? No, uh, no you know, uh, my youngest daughter, she's well-trained as a as an actor and she models and uh, was in all the plays you could ever imagine and musicals and whatnot, uh, whatnot. And I knew at four years old, she came downstairs one morning and whenever I was home and not on the road, I would always fix them breakfast and take them both to school. And she's four years Years old and she comes down the stairs and she's and she looks at me and she does one of those actor moves and she says dad i couldn't possibly go to school today and i said why not she said look at my hair she's having a bad hair day at four years old and so she can't go to school are you kidding me you know at our house unless you were bleeding profusely out of an open wound you you were going to school <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So yeah, they you know they they would come to Harbor Town and and see what I do, and afterwards you know it takes me a little while to sign books and T-shirts and CDs and all of that, and they never quite understood the concept of well, what are you doing? What are you? Why are you writing your name on other people's stuff? <laughs> 
you know, they've always thought I was goofy, and and I guess that's a great compliment. I think every child thinks their parents are a little crazy, especially the dads. <laughs> it's something you touch on in your shows all the time is that how crazy the dads are. Yeah, but, you know, I, I hear all my contemporaries, all my buddies talk about, uh, you know, the tough time they had with their uh, sons and daughters and teenage years and all that, and we we just sailed through. I mean, we just had no problems with our kids. They were well-behaved, and uh, the ultimate compliment comes back when they're around other adults, and the adults come back and say, you know, your your, your children are so well-behaved and, and respectful. That, uh, to me, is the ultimate compliment. And I was gone so much. Their, their mom, Lindy, is such a wonderful role model uh, and was to them. And she did a fantastic job a good portion of the time. Uh, raising them and taking care of them when when I was on the road now there there came a point in time you remember Payne Stewart the the golfer Payne and I were fairly close as I, I got close to uh, many of the golfers who came here because of their kids and Payne and I were fairly close and and uh, he and I spent some time together and I was actually on a cruise ship and there was a knock on my cabin door nobody ever knocked on my cabin door uh, and a, a guy said, there's a phone call for you on the bridge. This was pre-cell phone and call from your cabin kind of stuff. And I thought, oh, no, this is not good. And so I went up to the bridge, and it was my wife. And she was telling me, have you heard about pain? And I said, no, I'm you know out in the middle of the ocean somewhere. And she told me about uh, the plane crash and, and what had happened. So the next day or two days later, I flew back into Miami and I finally got to a payphone and I, I called her and I said, you know, I've thought about this and I'm done. She said, what do you mean? I said, I'm not going to do this anymore. You know, Payne and I swapped war stories about being gone all the time, and missing dance recitals and all those things that most parents take for granted and or dread. And so uh, almost immediately, we took our girls out of school and we homeschooled them. And for two years, wherever I went, we all went because I was contractually obligated and it wasn't tough duty. I mean, we'd go to Hawaii for two months or uh, <laughs> go to the ski resorts or we get on cruise ships or wherever I was going. And so it was really the first time for me to connect with them on that 24-hour-a-day level like Lindy had been with them since the very beginning. And after the end of two years, we decided, all right, we need to get them off the road and, and back into social lives. And uh, the one daughter, uh, the youngest, Maddie, was acting and wanting to pursue all that. And uh, Mackenzie was riding and wanted to ride horses. So we got back home and uh, I decided that was it for me, that I would greatly, greatly curtail my uh, travel schedule. And I did and never really looked back. I remember when that, that happened and I didn't have the opportunity to, to know Payne Stewart, but just from watching him on the golf course and how he interacted with people, you knew that not only did the golf world suffer a tremendous loss, but so did the world. You know, what what was Payne 
like? Can you share some stories? He was stories? a character. I mean, he loved music. That was one of our connections. Uh, he couldn't sing very well at all, and he always had a harmonica with him wherever he went. So during golf week, you could go to the quarter deck and hear him sitting in with guys that were playing, and, uh, you know, it was somewhat of a train wreck. But he and Peter Jacobson, a couple other guys, uh, had a little PGA rock and roll band called Jake Trout and the Flounders, I think. And they'd play at all the PGA events everywhere. And it was just kind of a fun thing. But Payne was a character. Paul Azinger, who was his uh, best friend on tour, and Zinger and I are still to this day good friends. Payne invited uh, Zinger over to his house because he wanted to show him. Payne had bought a brand new bass boat with this great big engine on it, and he lived on uh, outside of Orlando and uh, Lake uh, Isleworth. And uh, so Zinger pulls up in the driveway and Payne is inside his garage, standing up in his bass boat, and he says, listen to this, Zinger, and he cranked the engine, and Zinger, who's an experienced world-class fisherman, is running and yelling at Payne, shut it off, shut it off, and Payne is revving the engine up, and the whole thing is catching on fire. You got to have water running through the engine (laughs) for cooling (laughs) to keep it cool. That was pain. Everything he did was was wide open, and he loved his kids, and he, you know, he spent as much time as he could with them. But here he is, a world class, well known athlete, traveling all over the world, and um, you know, we shared that. We had that in common of, of of missing our kids. And a year after he was gone, uh, our family and uh, Paul Azinger's family went over to Defusky the week after the golf tournament, and we sat out uh, on a deck one night out on the balcony of one of those cottages over there and Zinger talked about how much he missed pain and he said what I've come to realize is I don't want or care if people remember me for pitching in out of the sand trap and winning the PGA championship he said I don't care about any of that he said when I'm gone I want to be missed you know and pain is missed uh, by the golf world and uh uh, the friends that he had uh, everywhere. So I think that's a good life lesson for us all. You know, are we going to be missed when we're gone? I hope so. Tell me about your wife, Lindy, and where you met. Was she one of the girls you were playing <laughs> to on the beach, or how'd you meet no, Lindy? No, uh, for many years I owned a, uh, let's call it a club, uh, out in uh, Keystone uh, at the Keystone Resort in Colorado, a ski resort. And it was an over-exaggerated pizza place with uh, seated a couple hundred people. And um, an ex-Sepines guy was running the resort at the time, and that's this place was floundering a little bit. And he asked me if I'd like to get involved with it because I'd built up a reputation in the ski resort. So we took it over, and I would come in and play early in the evening, you know, from like 6 till 9 o'clock. And then a rock and roll band would come on and play until two in the morning and we're selling these huge $50 pizzas. And, um, uh, so anyway, that was, uh, we owned that for about seven years. Well, Lindy and her two sisters 
were flight attendants. Lindy at uh, Delta and her sisters were uh, with American. And whenever these flight attendants were in town, there was kind of a buzz about these three. Uh, all beautiful, you know, just uh, ski uh, ski fanatics. And uh, anyway, I would sneak them in the back door of the Last Chance Saloon, which I owned, because it was an hour and a half wait to get in every night. So I'd sneak them in the back door and have a table for them and uh, and actually became good friends with her older sister who was dating a musician friend of mine. So uh, we would ski a little bit and uh, hang out a little bit. And so uh, they had that place, but they also owned a place in Miami where they were based. And so two of the sisters lived together in in miami so i was working cruise ships and uh i told lindy's older sister i said look a few weeks i'm going to be in miami and i have a layover before i join a ship maybe we'll have dinner or something she said yeah call me uh because we were just friends and uh so i flew into miami and i called the only number i had and she wasn't there but lindy answered the phone i said uh, Greg Russell, you remember I met you out in Colorado? Huh? Oh, yeah, 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 I remember you. And I said, well, I was calling Debbie to see if she wanted to have dinner or something tonight. And she said, well, Debbie's on a trip. She's flying on a trip. She said, and, you know, I'm supposed to go to some black tie thing tonight. And I'm tired. I just flew in and I don't want to do that. But if you let me come in jeans and a sweatshirt, I'll come by and pick you up and we'll go have uh, stone crabs or something somewhere. So I said, great. So she came to the hotel at the Sheraton there at the Miami airport. I'll never forget it. Picked me up and we went to dinner and we've been together ever since. You and Lindy and the girls, now you travel together. Did you have a favorite place that you, you live in paradise? <laughs> Do you have a favorite place that you would actually go on vacation? Uh, yeah. Um, Lindy's sister um, uh, owns a, uh, and has for 30 years or so, a, a beautiful place down in the Bahamas. Uh, very small island called Green Turtle. And so they invited us and our girls down there, and we kind of uh, fell in love with the place. It's very difficult to get to, but once you get there, uh, you know, it's crystal clear blue water and, and no footprints on the beaches anywhere. And we became friendly with uh, other people down there who some people from California basically have always made their little house available to us whenever we wanted to go. So we were just down there uh, last month, Lindy and I went, but our girls grew up uh, almost every vacation going to Green Turtle in the Abacos. Uh, people ask me if I have any regrets uh, about being here. I never had a summer vacation with my girls because I was here six nights a week. But every Christmas and New Year's and spring break, when possible, we would uh, – head for the Bahamas. So yeah, that's, uh, uh, was back then and still our favorite place. Now I still love river cruises through Europe and Hawaii and all the wonderful places we've been blessed to be able to go to all these years. But, the uh, memories of our girls growing up and have pictures of them from the time they're three or four years old till present day, walking the beaches and fishing and swimming and, and diving and doing all that, Bahamian stuff that outweighs everywhere else. 
back here in Hilton Head, how did the island change throughout the the eighties and, and the nineties? Well, you know, with uh, with the expansion of more and more visitors discovering us, there are more restaurants, more grocery stores. Uh, Two seventy eight became four lane, and then traffic lights, and you know, all of that stuff. But I've always been of the mindset that uh, aren't we lucky? that so many people from Cleveland and Pittsburgh and Cincinnati and Indianapolis want to come after working hard all year and want to spend a week or two here. Aren't we lucky that this is the place they choose to come? So it's changed in the number of visitors and the number of residents and the number of everything that we have here. But as we've said before, I think it's been so well managed that uh, the island has been able to absorb all of that growth in, in in a way that has kept the uh, characteristics and the dignity and the vision that Charles had, Charles Fraser had for this place 60 years ago. Uh, For the most part, you know, it's still intact. Now, you know, all of us that live here get a little frustrated when there's a backup of cars at the traffic circle. But, you know, for the great majority of the year, it's a nice, quiet uh, little hometown, if you will. How did sea pines change in the 80s and 90s? They went through, you know, some ownership issues and, you know, some turmoil. Still ended up being a fantastic place. But what were the changes like over those well, years? Well, we have been through, I don't know, six or seven owners since I've been there. And and some were uh, not as uh, uh, tuned in to the original vision as others. Uh, but about 10 years or so ago, we were lucky enough uh, because uh, the property owners had, uh, a group of property owners had uh, brought it out of bankruptcy and uh, just somehow been able to move it along and, and keep it alive and breathing uh, when uh, our current owners stepped in and and purchased the assets and the resort side of uh, Sea Pines and have put tens of millions, if not 100 million uh, or more, into the um, structures and the infrastructure of, of Sea Pines. And that growth and that influx of cash has carried over to Palmetto Dunes and, and uh, stabilized uh, the uh, real estate market and we're more vibrant right now, really, than any time in in my 45 year history that we're here that I've been here. Uh, we're more stable. Real estate prices are through the roof. Um, you know, if you're a seller right now, you want to sell your your home or your villa. Yeah, yeah you're fat and happy. If you're trying to buy something right now, uh, you know, it's pickings are slim. Our inventory, from what I understand, is down 70 percent of what it was a year ago. So people want to be here. There is a magic potion that is Hilton Head, all of Hilton Head, not just Sea Pines, but all of Hilton Head, and that attracts the the best of the best. And uh, people come here and want to assimilate and be a part of this community. And, you know, it's never been better, in my humble opinion. 
That's quite a beach club they built down there. Whew. Well, the beach club, the plantation club, the Harbortown Clubhouse right now, they're uh, in the final days before they're tearing down the whole quarter deck end of the uh, uh, Harbortown Peninsula there by the lighthouse to rebuild it in a, in a way that takes it more advantage of the, all of those fantastic views. Uh, and those that's due to our ownership. You know, they believe in the resort and people have caught uh, caught that fever if you will that there are solid stable owners there that are putting their money where their mouth is and they're spending uh, uh, to really recreate the glory days of of sea pines and you drive through there right now and you're you're amazed at the growth and uh, some of the old 60 year old small beach cottages that uh, existed way back then, uh, you know, are being torn down and replaced by um, newer, more family-friendly homes. And uh, I, I just, uh, I can't tell you how uh, grateful all of us are for uh, what the ownership at Sea Pines has done and, and the trickle effect of what it's done everywhere else. You know, it's solid. We're stable. And if a re- another recession comes, another 07, 08 comes, I think we'll be able to handle it uh, better than most. When I was just down at Harbortown uh, a few days ago, there's a lot of construction going on for the whole quarter deck project and all that. But I walked out on the pier and there's actually, for the longest time, the only building that had any color in it whatsoever, because everything is painted neutral because all the rules, was the lighthouse. You know, it's got red and white stripes. But now they've got some buildings down there. There, it looks like somebody snuck in from the Bahamas and yeah. <laughs> or Miami and, yeah. and started painting. What are your thoughts on you know some of the the changes to kind of brighten up the the Harbor Town area? Well, you know, the Sea Pines has a fairly restrictive um, ARB uh, that controls, you know, what colors you can paint your house and uh, all of those uh, covenant restrictions that exist that they enforce. And so there's uh, some pushback right now. Uh, People think that uh, those colors are a little outlandish and a little bit too much. Uh, And probably on some of the colors, I agree with that. But two summers ago or two winters ago, we were over in in Portofino um, in Italy. And and Charles really designed Harbortown to look like Portofino. And they have those muted, more muted colors of browns and orange and I won't say yellow, but mustard kind of colors on those three, four hundred year old um, um, villas and uh, Portofino. So I'd rather see that kind of uh, more muted colors. And I, and I think they'll get to that. I think, you know, I've been remodeling houses and buying, selling houses. And sometimes you pick out a color and it looks a little different on the wall than than it did at Home Depot or Sherwin-Williams. <laughs> so um, I, I don't know. It's caused a lot of controversy. And, uh, I, you know, with all the things we have to really be worried about in the world, uh, that probably not hit my radar as as hard as some of the other issues but you know i'm i'm sure it'll in the end it'll work out and uh, that it'll be uh to most people's satisfaction change is hard sometimes yes and, and but with everything that sea pines has done over the years usually they've been right yes you know and yeah some of the colors may end up changing or whatever but i have a feeling like you said in the end of this uh it, it'll all get right um what do you think the best improvement has been 
over the years for the island. Wow. Our infrastructure here, um, you know, you don't really think about fire departments and uh, police and hospital and all of that. Uh, but we have, you know, great health facilities here. Um, I think we have nine uh, fire uh, stations, if you will. They're building a brand new fire station in, in, in Sea Pines right now. That kind of infrastructure stuff is very important, and we take it for granted. I mean, within 10 minutes of me pulling out of my driveway, I can I can be at my bank, my grocery store, uh, the beach, uh, uh, you know, a softball field, uh, a park to walk the dog, a, a nice dog park. You know, anything and everything within 10 minutes of my house is available to me. And you try that in Cleveland or Atlanta or Charlotte, <laughs> um, you know, you're, you're hard-pressed to get out of your subdivision in 10 minutes. So I think... I think the way it's been done and, uh, and the restrictions on development, although we had to have development in order to keep up with the demand, I think the way it's been done and developed uh, is probably the best thing that's happened here. The one thing that really struck me over the years was when they built the Cross Island Parkway, which I'm sure was a big challenge because all the environmental concerns and all that, and you know the land and getting through that whole issue. But nothing else really seemed to change the island as much as that road because it pulled a lot of traffic off of the business section of 278 and kind of alleviated some of that pressure that was there. One thing a lot of people won't necessarily know is that the tolls are actually ending this yes, year. in so, July. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. talk a little bit, and this is July 2021 for those who might be listening down the road. Tell me what you think the impact of the Cross Island Parkway uh, had and the fact that, that now it's actually going to be free to use and the, the South Carolina Department of Transportation is going to take care of it. Well, as you know, um, uh, the bridge across Broad Creek as part of the, uh, the Cross Island is the Charles Fraser Bridge. And I was with him the day that they opened it, and uh, we pushed baby strollers up the, uh, up the bridge and, uh, with our girls, and, and Charles was there. And he had a vision for that years and years and years before that was built. But the red tape and the pushback and you can't do it responsibly and all the naysayers who didn't want bike paths, well, you can imagine they sure didn't want that cross <laughs> island. But I guarantee you they were the first people in line to, to use it to access the south end without having to drive you know, all the way, uh, you know, around by Port Royal and, and Palmetto Dunes to get to the south end. Um, I owned a home at that time um, in Spanish Wells. And for me to drive to Harbortown, you know, was all the way around to get to Harbortown and take, you know, half an hour or so. And with the Cross Island, uh, it was just a Quick jump over Broad Creek, and there we were on the south end. So that's a, that was a great achievement that the town fathers finally got that push through. And they said back then, not sure everybody believed them, but at some point when it paid for itself, they would remove all the tolls, and there you go. Well, here we are a few months away, and they're going to take the toll booths down and uh, the road will be there for everyone to use. We are recording this in 
uh, March of 2021, and uh, Hilton Head is actually in the midst of a whole new bridges project. Uh, some of the, the bridges that you use to get on the island are really aging. I believe one of them is one of the original ones from 1956. You talk a little bit about that bridges project and, and what's going on with that and what your thoughts are on it. Well, I've only seen some drawings and heard you know some conversation about it, but they're uh, they're talking about with South Carolina Department of Transportation of either building something new, building new bridge or bridges, and taking the old bridges and turning them into parks. Uh, my daughter, my youngest daughter, uh, they live uh, have a place in Manhattan, and close to her place in Chelsea uh, is the High Line, which was old. Uh, train tracks, if you will, elevated train tracks, which rather than tear them down, they have turned that into a walking trail with trees. And, you know, it's, it's a wonderful elevated space through a very, very busy section of Manhattan where you can where, where you can walk and sit on a bench and, you know, catch the sunshine. And if they do what they're talking about doing and turning uh, the older bridges, if you will, into a park where there's trees and you could fish or ride your bike or go have a picnic and, you know, have gatherings. I, I think that's a great idea. That's a very unique use. Uh, you know, of old bridges. I believe down in Tampa in the Florida area, they have a real long bridge that's used for, it's basically a giant fishing pier now. So yeah, definitely a, a great way to revitalize. Yeah. You know, I guess the only other option would be just to drop it in the water and allow it to become, you know, kind of a, a fish sanctuary. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm not sure the water is deep enough there for them to just drop it. I think they'd have to extract it, which could be very, very costly. Greg, one of your biggest passions is the Hilton Head Heroes Foundation and the Heroes House. What is that and how did it become to be? Well, over 20 years ago when I was uh, on the road a good portion of the time, I got so tired of just sitting in a hotel room waiting for a performance that night at a theater or a convention or wherever I happened to be. So I started visiting children's hospitals. Um, I had done some work with organizations like Make-A-Wish and Ronald McDonald Houses and things like that. Um, And I I, I saw firsthand up close, uh, you know, kids that were struggling and parents and and families and came home one one day and I said to my wife, you know, I I just did this thing for Make-A-Wish. I wonder if we could offer something like Make-A-Wish does. Uh, Not everybody wants to go to Disney World or, uh, you know, whatever the Make-A-Wish things are. Maybe we could get people to contribute their villa for a week and, you know, I can get a couple of restaurants to pitch in and that sort of thing. And she said, yeah, let's let's go for it. So um, we decided uh, uh, that we would call it Hilton Head Heroes. And so we asked for donations, and and I uh, went and asked uh, my relationships here, would they help us this way and that way? And uh, I met a little fella up in uh, Augusta, Georgia. Uh, and uh, at a hospital up there, and he had seen the golf tournament on TV, and he told me, he said, you know, I would really love to 
be able to come to Hilton Head someday. And, and so when we decided to start it, I was in contact with his mom and uh, we invited them if they could break away in between treatments that uh, they could, as a family, come down and spend a week here. Uh, and so they did. And they were our first family over 20 plus years ago. Uh, and isn't it funny that, I don't know, 18 years later during the golf tournament, I was walking around the golf uh, course and the pollen was out like it is now. And a big gust of wind uh, blew all that yellow pollen out of the tree. And there was a, a marshal standing over uh, by the green. And there weren't many people around this particular green. And I kind of said to him, he's probably 20 yards away. I said to him, wow, you would have thought uh, the pollen would be gone by now or something like that. And he, and he kind of motioned me over. He said, you don't know me, do you? And I said, uh, help me out. I don't remember. And he introduced himself, and he was the father of that first little boy that we ever invited to come down here. And he had kept up with us and followed us. And it just so happened that that particular night, I was having a function at a private home to thank many of our Hilton Head Hero supporters. Uh, for their contributions and whatnot. So I invited this gentleman, Mr. Womble, to come to this private home and tell his story of his little boy who left a legacy behind him of now over a thousand families have come to Hilton Head for a cost-free week. And all of those families had one thing in common. Uh, they have a very, very sick child. And that gentleman related their story, their family story, to our contributors. And I think it had as much an impact on those uh, sponsors that we have, where they saw 20 years later how much it still meant to that family, even though their son had passed away, that it left an uh, indelible impact on their entire family, that it gave them some good memories at the end of a very medically challenged life for their child. That's had an amazing impact on a lot of folks here on the island, hasn't it? Well, it has. It, it, it takes so many people to make it work after... I don't know, seven or eight years of uh, asking and begging people for villas and homes and whatnot. Uh, we were able to purchase the Hilton Head Hero House in Sea Pines. It's a big house. It's got a pool in the backyard. And uh, every week a different family comes and checks into that house. And we have a local family meet them. And there are uh host family for that particular family. And when they arrive, we uh, uh, show them through the house and give them a great big book 
book with gift certificates for restaurants and putt-putt golf and dolphin cruises and movie theater tickets and everything you could humanly want to do. And there's brand new bicycles sitting in the driveway delivered by the bicycle company. And um, we'll give them, uh, you know, groceries and everything that you would want uh, on a vacation. Now, these aren't people who could ever ever afford to do this on their own um, they've run out of insurance money you know you your insurance has a cap on it and when you have a, a sick child going through chemo and and transplants and all the rest of it you run through that pretty quickly so um, like I say uh, after all these years we've had close to a thousand families come and and spend a week here and many of these families come knowing that they're saying goodbye to one of their little ones. But they have the beach. We have a, a professional beach photographers come and take them on the beach and take their pictures. And in many cases, that's the last time that family is together as that unit. Wow. I know that, that Lindy is very active and, and involved in this. What's it mean to you and Lindy every time a new family comes to stay in that house? Well, over the 20 years, Lindy um, is the executive uh, director, and she really makes it happen. We have a very, very strong board of directors who are all actively involved in one way or another, not just writing checks, but giving of their time and resources and, and energies. And there are days where I'll come home and she has just gotten off the phone with a mom or a dad. And, um, you know, a, a child has taken a turn for the worse and they're worried about are they going to be able to come or not come. And, um, you know, I can see that I don't think you ever get immune to it. Uh, dealing, you know, a mom told me one time, yeah coming to Harbor Town, they uh, bring the kids out to visit with me. And, and, uh, I asked a mom, cause I watch what Lindy goes through, uh, with dealing w with the different parents. I said, how do you do this? And this mom said, we have no choice. She said, you know, every day there's a wolf knocking at our door. And we either choose to fight that wolf or we roll over and we're not going to roll over. We're going to do everything we can medically and spiritually and and uh, su uh, support wise that we can to uh, uh, give our child the best life they can have, however long or short that is. And with that, we're going to wrap up part two with Greg Russell. Greg, thank you for being with us. My pleasure. In part three of this series with Greg Russell, we'll talk about the state of Ohio, sandwiches, and whether or not Greg actually ever owned a minivan. Greg has some great family-friendly movies, CDs, and even a couple of books available on his website, gregrussell.com. That's two Gs. I encourage you to check those out. As we were d just discussing there, the Hilton Head Heroes Foundation is just an awesome group of people helping families when they are hurting uh, just the most anybody could possibly be hurting. Please visit hhheroes.com, 
HiltonHeadHeroes.com and find out more about the organization, what they have done, and see some of the families they have helped. Please visit hheroes.com and support this wonderful effort. We have an entire episode about the Hilton Head Heroes, the house and some stories about the families that have had the opportunity to come and visit Hilton Head. I can think of no better way to send you down 278 to Lighthouse Road with one of my favorite songs that Greg performs and also shares the same name as the movie Greg stars in. Here is Come Away Home. Shines from the lighthouse, it beckons me. 